0: Well, hello there, and welcome to Consortio Day, a podcast about partnering with God to do sacred work. My name is John Chandler, and I'm a spiritual director, and I offer this podcast as a companion to my spiritual direction practice. It's conversations with people who do different kinds of sacred work about what their own rhythms are, what their own habits are for staying connected to God for the sacred work that they do. How do they partner with God for the work that they do? My guest today is Sarah Cowan Johnson. Sarah is a ministry consultant. She was in ministry for many years, but in her own role, both as a mother and as a ministry leader, uh, she's become really passionate about helping families offer spiritual formation for their children and in the context of family. So this was a fun conversation because it's a little bit different than the shape of many of the others I've had because... Sarah focuses a lot more of her own formation and her own growth on the context of their family, and it's not so much about her personal rhythms, it's about their family rhythms. And so maybe you're a parent, and this will be interesting to you for that reason, or maybe you just live in a household with others, uh, whether they are family or maybe not family, who are trying to pursue God together, and this might help you explore some communal practices that you can have uh, within your home. So, I'm excited to share this conversation with you. One other note alongside um, my spiritual direction work, if you're interested in conversations like this, I also offer some cohorts around spiritual formation that you might find interesting. And there's a link at the bottom of the show notes, back to my website, where you can find some of those cohorts and pre-register for some of the other cohorts I have coming up, both on the Prayer of Examine and on Sabbath. So thanks again for listening, and here we are with Sarah Cowan Johnson. So Sarah, it is—it's nice to meet you. Um, Always fun to to meet you too. Always fun to sit down and have a conversation with someone who clearly, even though we've only exchanged a few emails and I've, um, you know, flipped through your books, um, just share a passion for Mm -hmm. spiritual formation. So awesome. Love to have a conversation about that today, but let's hear first. Just tell us a little bit about what is the Tell us about your sacred work. Tell us about the work that you do.
1: Yeah, I love that um, that phrase, sacred work. Um, Well, I currently I'm a ministry consultant, trainer, and coach. My background is in full-time ministry, so Mm -hmm. I have about 20 years of um, ministry experience in parachurch and church. So InterVarsity Christian Fellowship is where I began, and then I served as an executive pastor with the Covenant Church. Um, But Starting in 2020, I uh, left um, full time, you know, yeah. pastoral ministry to uh, to work with denominations, pastors, church leaders, um, and around that time, I went through a. I was in a sort of a vocational. Uh, I don't know, just a maybe a little bit of a wilderness, trying to figure out what is my calling, sure. and I went through a process that I now actually do with clients um, of writing what I call a vocational vision statement. And so my vocational vision statement has to do with um, strategic leadership and practical tools for the flourishing of the church. So that's what I try to do in all yeah. the contracts that I choose to take on and projects that I, that I work on. So I, I consult with our denomination in the church planting world um, with their church planter training, mm-hmm. and um, also in the uh, discipleship department, thinking about family discipleship, and then I did write this book on family discipleship. So, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and that was recent as well, right? That just
1: came. Yeah, out. that yeah. yes, it came out last year. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so the ministry context you were in, you told me before we started recording that you were part mm-hmm. of the church planning training. So were you? did you is was your executive pastor experience in church plants or established yes. churches or both
1: yes a church plant here in providence that i still attend and my husband is actually on the pastoral staff now at the same church um, but yeah i came in at year 4 of that church plant and we were planting other congregations so we had a vision to be a planting a, a church plant that planted other churches yeah. and a, a sort of a parish model and so I came in at year four, and by the time I left, we had planted two other congregations. Oh, wow. So my, my job was really to develop the systems and the people needed to sustain that kind of growth and, and kingdom expansion. So it was different than what an executive pastor role might be in a very established church. Sure, sure. So it was a lot of designing the systems, um, designing financial systems, designing HR systems, and then developing people. So leadership development and staff development. So, yeah. So
0: I'm curious and like, I I always love, and I, I think I preface it every time (laughs) the same way, but I'm always curious to hear someone when I ask what seems like it should be an obvious question, but it's not, which is (laughs) what role does partnering with God play Mm. in the work that you do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well um, I have uh, for a long time now, since I was on staff at the university thought about this grid that actually my friend, Ryan Pfeiffer, who has a great book um, longing Mm. for revival. um, He introduced this framework of um, high mystery, high strategy leadership. So it's a two by two grid. Um, And I, I learned about that. I don't know, a decade ago or so, and that has really helped me to think about what human, the human contribution to sacred work. So, um, the idea that many of us uh, lean either high strategy in our work, where we think sure. it's sort of all all human effort, and we maybe just sort of ask God to sort of bless our efforts, and then on the other side, some of us lean high mystery, where it's sort of like all up to God and who knows what our role is and the, the ideal and the, the sort of uh, biblical image is that of the incarnation, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, it is um, high mystery, high strategy that God inhabits human effort. Um, And even Mary is a beautiful picture of what, what sacred work looks like. It's um, her, her yes mattered a lot. So anyway, that's, that's been the, the, like the um, image that's been really helpful for me. And um, so I think about that for myself. Um, I try to, I'm probably more high strategy by nature. So leaning into the mystery side. And then when I specifically, with my work with um, parents, that is something I spend a lot of time talking to parents about that, um, you know, in the work of discipleship in the home, it's not all up to them, um, but also they have a really important part to play and so yeah, i do yeah. spend a lot of time talking about that partnership between god and humanity in the work of ministry and discipleship so. yeah
0: but i mean that's a I, i'm not familiar with that book that you just named or that you know but i would I like that i mean i think that's really it's a good way to see yourself on some kind of continuum between these and where to land right, right. so i wonder what it's looked like for you to be um You can hear my spiritual director come out all the time because (laughs) I always say, I wonder what, Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, but I do, I I wonder what it has looked like for you to try to embrace your high strategy side Mm -hmm. and your work, you know, in a church and in your work now, while also not going too far that direction or relying solely on that. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, that's, and part of that vocational vision statement, that strategic leadership, that really is something I've come to recognize is this is the gift that I bring, but it's incomplete. You, you know, I, I often work with a visionary leader or what I would call maybe a high mystery Mm -hmm. leader and their leadership is incomplete as well. Um, so even today, right before this podcast, I, um, came into my church staff meeting as a little consultant for, you know, 20 minutes to consult on, um, a systems question that they had. And so I I love doing that, popping in. And yeah, it is a strategic conversation. It's a it's a high, high strategy conversation, but it's in the context of a group of people who are also thinking on about that question from a number of different angles. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, I think for me, um surrounding myself with people who are different from me has actually been really helpful. My husband is a high mystery leader, for example.
0: Right. (laughs) And then, I mean, and then that'll lead us into, you know, kind of the meat of these conversations that I like to have, which is what does that look like then in your own practices? Mm. You know, what, it uh, and, and I'm going to, I might go back to that really practically in terms of day to day, but I'm curious, have you found it's beneficial for you to orient yourself around practices that cultivate your own, bent toward being high strategy or has Mm. it, or have you had to really try to measure in practices of high mystery as well to balance all that?
1: Well, yeah, I, um, I feel like, so something that's very interesting, I think that a lot of people assume that somebody who's sort of high strategy, very strategic person is also very um, disciplined, organized, structured, and actually personality wise, I actually really resist structure and mm-hmm. discipline. Um, I am a. I really love spontaneity. I, I um, so I think for in my professional life for a long time when I worked for university I didn't have a daily schedule. I was my own. I was a self. You know, I wasn't my own boss, but I essentially managed my own time. And when I worked for the church, that transition to having to go into an office every day at the same time was very difficult for me. So in terms of my um, my spiritual practices uh that's actually a place where i've found i need to be more strategic than i am naturally um and so planning and thinking about um rule of life um and being intentional about that (laughs) has been really important and actually what has helped me a lot is thinking about that in the context of my family so um we, the, the practices that I'm the most consistent with are the corporate practices that we do as a family. Um, yeah. Yeah. so, and this, this started before, um, this actually started in college, but the, the spiritual practice that has been the most essential, life giving, and has lasted the longest has been Sabbath. And that's something I started when mm-hmm. I was 20. And, um, I don't know how I would do my life without yeah. Sabbath. Yeah. Um, so that's something that, I am incredibly rigid about and, and structured about. Um, and then daily practices, I need variety. I need to shake it up. But the thing that has remained consistent is what we do with our kids. And as they grow, that becomes, um, more, uh, equally, um, enriching to my husband and I, as we do those practices with our kids. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so what is I mean, let's let's talk about it. I'm yeah. struck by I'm struck by a thought that mm-hmm. um I, I don't I don't know that I've ever articulated this or put this together before. Um but because we are such an individualist society, we focus so much, right, on, you know, and even the nature of my questions. What are your personal or inner rhythms? Yep. Which yep. I think is still valid. I'm not gonna Absolutely. <laughs> discard. Absolutely. That question. Right. But You know, I I think there's a lot to be said for, and and, I mean, I practice Sabbath as well, but that's very much, again, for us, a family thing. And I've had a few conversations with people lately about those who practice an individual Sabbath versus those who practice a family Sabbath, and it's a very different thing. It is different, yeah. I I mean, I I affirm your response to the question, which I don't think that's what you're looking for, but I do, (laughs) because I really appreciate the idea of, for many of us, you know, our practices are are best explored within our household or or within right. some small you know community. So, yep. yeah, all that to say, thank you for naming that because yeah. I feel like it's it's opening up something for me today. But what then do your community, you know, your family practices yeah. look like? And and I'd love to talk more particularly about Sabbath in a bit, but even beyond yeah. that, what do those dailies look like?
1: Absolutely. So, um, we. And this has changed, and this is part of what I work with parents, is mm-hmm. you need to be nimble and flexible to the age and stage of your kids. So right now, my kids are almost thirteen, he'll be thirteen in a couple of weeks here, and then nine. And we have found in the last couple of years or so that dinner time has become just a, a very, uh, we call it like it's the best discipleship lab mm-hmm. time that we have. And so we um, either at dinner, um so usually at dinner we're um like during lent we are using um a tool actually that I created but it's a it's a, I call it a lenten calendar it's like an advent calendar but it's for lent. Oh yeah. And it has a daily scripture and then it rotates between three lenten practices of confession of sin um 60 seconds of silence and then something I call looking for manna which is essentially just a, an examination of uh, Looking for God's um, provision in our lives. Where do we have a sense that God has um, <laughs> fed us with manna today? Yeah. Um, and then a discussion prompt um, that that is, um, and that has been wonderful for our family. And then something that we started a couple of years ago is right after dinner, and we don't do we we do this maybe 75% of the time um, we do something called special God time. So we don't call it quiet time because in our family, that is not appealing to <laughs> quiet time. is not appealing.
0: Yeah. I, I don't is know. your whole family extrovert? <laughs> Pretty much, but
1: also just kids, you know, who wants to have quiet time and is that appealing as a phrase that communicates we're we just, God time when they were little stuck. And we um, sometimes we do parallel special God time. In other words, everybody pick your own practice and do it. So yeah, my kids will do, you know, things that they that they find compelling. And then uh, my husband and I will pick a practice that that we find compelling. So you know, sometimes we'll journal my husband loves journaling. That's more of a an upstream or a vegetable practice for me. Um, and sometimes honestly I'll just take the 10 minutes and sit in silence, which is, you know, a little bit of a a unique experience in our home to enjoy that, (laughs) that silence. So sometimes we'll do that parallel. Is silence
0: easier for you than journaling?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. Journaling. I don't know. It's, it's difficult and, um, this is maybe a quirk, but I always imagine who's going to read this when I die. Yeah. <laughs> and i just, I don't love putting all my that. intimate things on paper and I've, I've burned some journals, uh, in the past. So <laughs> there's some fear and trembling that comes with writing down intimate things for me. Um, So, uh, yeah, but so sometimes we'll do, you know, kind of everybody pick their own thing. And then other seasons, my husband and I will lead our kids in something where we'll say, um, for, for the next month, we're going to try this. And so right now we're experimenting with, um, once a week on Monday nights, doing some prayer and worship together. Um, our, both our kids are very musical. So inviting older son to play piano, younger son plays a little cajon and, um, my husband plays guitar, and so we'll spend time just worshiping together. Ten yeah. minutes. Uh, it's yeah. usually two songs and teaching them about that. And then other times, we'll invite the kids to lead um, a practice for us, or um, we've invited them to prep a "quote unquote" sermon. You know, but to teach us, and and that's part of our wanting to develop them as leaders um, spiritually. So,
0: so, so, what is it like to protect that time frame? Because mm-hmm. everything. Everything that exists in our culture, it feels like, and I imagine this is even more true where you live, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. Providence (laughs) um, is go, 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 you know, and so much going on. So what's it been like to try to protect that? I don't know another word for it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, that's how it feels. Um, So this is something that started when our youngest son was about one and you know, solid foods and like the dinner time be became established. So, uh, my husband and I are naturally we could just sort of work through dinner or eat dinner whenever we we didn't have a routine. But then when Noah started to need to eat around five thirty, we were like, "Oh, this is how people get family dinner time." Here it is. So from that time on, we have militantly protected from five pm till seven thirty or eight uh, yeah. from work, and so that's just something, it is sacred. Obviously there's things that come up, you know, one-time things, but we, as a general rule, five to seven 30 or eight is you cannot, <laughs> you cannot do anything. We are home right. together. So yeah, we eat dinner together and then we just realized, well, we have this time where right now our kids are home. Um, and we can repurpose some of that time for family discipleship. And the other thing to, to say with that is we have resisted pretty strongly um, the, the cultural norm of having kids who are in a thousand activities and uh, participating in all kinds of, you know, over, overstructured things. And we, we feel that strongly from two angles. One is, yeah, we really value Sabbath on the weekend on Saturday. We value that. Um, and so we have said no to, um, to sports that they don't, you know, before they were old enough to care about things and we were considering, should we do t-ball for three hours on a Saturday morning? No. Um, And then we have, you know, um, also I just have some parenting opinions about what overstructuring does to our kids uh, because I I actually think they need unstructured, unsupervised free time to develop skills that they don't get when they're being Mm -hmm. shuttled around from activity to activity. So anyway, we have really resisted um, and that is very different from our peers and the, their peers. Uh, we've really yeah. resisted having something every single night and on the weekends. Um, so yeah. yeah.
0: Well, let's let's t- let's talk about Sabbath. You know, yeah. we we referenced that earlier, um, and I, I mean, I'm a I'm a big fan of Sabbath. Um, I I appreciate that you said, and we I'll circle back to this in a bit with another question. But I appreciate that you said that you know you've been practicing it since you were 20 because. I feel like Sabbath has become talked about more often in recent years Mm -hmm. um, in a good way, but it sounds like it's been something that's been long held for you. So I'm putting a pin in that, but I want to talk first about your own family's practice. Like what does Sabbath look like for you?
1: Yeah. So we practice Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night because both of us have been in church ministry. uh, And so Sunday is not really the best uh, day to take a Sabbath for us. Um, and yeah, I really, you know, some of what I'll share doesn't sound necessarily quote unquote spiritual, but I yeah. believe that all of life is spiritual and these sure. rhythms are holy. Um, so we start Friday night uh, with um, family pizza and movie night, and that is a immovable, sacred routine. And so yeah. for example, we had a friend who was in town this weekend, and um, instead of throwing that out the window, she's invited. Come over, we're having pizza. We're going to watch a movie and we'll hang after the movie. Um, And so we start the Sabbath that way. Um, We sometimes do this and we, we got this practice from a friend, um, a family that we're close with who does this every, every weekend. And we, we uh, we're hit or miss with this, but I love it Um, where we light four candles and welcome the Sabbath together around each candle stands for a different Sabbath value. And these values are the values that define our Sabbath as well. So it's, Rest. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we stop work and and rest? Um, Reset, which is, you know, we're finishing one week and starting another. And then um, rejoice. We are celebrating and playing and having fun. And then worship. How do we connect with God and connect with um, other believers? So those four values are what I think about when I think about how we practice Sabbath. So Friday night, we do, you know, family movie night. And then Saturday... We sleep in, that's part of our rest. Um, and the boys get some screen time, which they don't get other times. Um, and that's part of their rejoice. Yeah. <laughs> they just love, they look <laughs> forward to that and they play, you know. Um, and then we have a, a big brunch together. So the kids help with making waffles or pancakes. Um, and then the rest of the day, so usually that takes us to noon, honestly. Uh, the rest mm-hmm. of the day is we try to be together. Um, and again, we don't, we're not, we don't police this like they can't do other things, but yeah, we want to encourage family play, family rest. When the weather's nice, we love doing bike rides. Um, and again, our kids are, you know, Noah is just about 13 and we know, yeah, his interest in doing those things may wane. Um, and so we'll have to be flexible and nimble in terms of what we, invite them to do that's still appealing. But um, yeah, so we try to just be together to rest, to rejoice, uh, reset that involves, you know, sometimes practicing the and What did we, where did we see God and miss yeah. God this past week? What are we looking forward to in the next week? And then worship, we, um, you know, make space to connect with God, but also look forward to Sunday where we sort of finish our Sabbath with right. uh, corporate worship.
0: When does, uh, when does house cleaning happen?
1: <laughs> that's a great question. Honestly, <laughs> Sunday after church is a yeah. great space that I have found for that's when I do laundry. That's when, um, you know, it's not, you know, we'll do occasional things on Saturday, but the big stuff, we, um, we really push that to Sunday afternoon, which feels like you're getting ready for the next week. You're sort of, um, so that that's been a helpful thing to sort of put off some of those chores for Sunday afternoon. I
0: I mean, I know being in ministry when you were in a church ministry, but still for your husband makes Saturday challenging because there's often things come up or you just feel like you can't be present because you're thinking about the next day. So, what what does that look like to try to disengage on Saturday knowing that Sunday's coming?
1: Yeah. Well, one thing that is uh, wonderful is our church. um, Sabbath is a corporate value in our church and Mm. all the pastoral staff takes their Sabbath on Saturday. (laughs) So that's been actually really wonderful. There's no, nobody's getting called to work on something. So I think, you know, um, when either of us would preach um, and Greg, he's not the lead pastor, he's not preaching every week and I wasn't, so I wasn't preaching every week it's the discipline to finish that sermon by Friday night. And that's just something that that's when I say I started Sabbath in my twenties. Um, you know, I grew up in a family that really practiced Sabbath very intentionally, but then when I went to college, um, college for me was much more academically rigorous than my high school experience. And I could, I worked all the time. I studied all the time and I studied all weekend and worked hard all weekend. And I, um, in my, it was my sophomore year where I made a commitment. I need to, you know, obey this command, but also receive the gift of Sabbath, um, or I'm just gonna run myself into the ground. And so that's something that I began at age 20, where I do not work on the Sabbath. And at this point, you know, more than 20 years later, I am not even tempted because I look forward to that rest so much that, yeah, I just know the sermon has to be finished by Friday night. And my husband knows that. And he preached this Sunday and yep, he finished it by family movie night. That's the, it's just part of the, part of the routine.
0: Yeah. Worst case scenario. I mean, if your Sabbath ends, if it's sundown to sundown, you still have a little time Saturday night. That's
1: right. That's right
0: so it you you told me before we were recording that I think you said you grew up episcopal. Yes. Is Sabbath a common practice in episcopal or was that more of a family well,
1: thing? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the sacramental stream of the church does a does a decent job in some spaces of um I mean, just their familiarity with spiritual practices, rhythms, routines can, I think, sometimes that—that's where a lot of the, you know, spiritual practices kind of come from. The sacramental stream, the church that I grew up in was very interesting. So it was what I would call a three-stream church. Um, it was sacramental. It was evangelical in quotes, not the political baggage that comes with that word, but the more and more so. Yeah. Yes. Right. The church that a church that was concerned with witness and the Bible. Um, but also it was charismatic. We had a healing ministry. People spoke in Mm. tongues. It was fascinating. Um, but my family, um, neither of them. So neither of my parents, uh, grew up knowing Jesus. Um, what my mom was churched. My dad was not. Um, and when they, they both uh came to faith in the um episcopal charismatic renewal movement um in the 70s and they uh when they got married and when they wanted to start a family they they just felt like they had no models for what that yes. would look like yeah. and so they were incredibly intentional about discipleship family rhythms um I said before that I am not the most structured yeah. person. My parents were very disciplined. Um, and so, yeah, we had daily and weekly practices. Um, and my mom brought the creativity to those things. She was very, very creative in how she helped us to engage the Lord. And my dad was very disciplined. And anyway, so Sabbath was something that they um, they – Yeah, taught us how to do. So we would have a special uh, Sabbath meal Mm -hmm. that was, uh, we got out candles, fancy plates, you know, nice dinner. And then we would do something called a family blessing, which we do with our kids that once a week, um, we would go around, me and my sister and uh, my two parents, and each person spent a few minutes in what they called the hot seat where the rest of us had to bless them. (laughs) Um, And so we do that with our kids um, as well. And that my parents did that because they uh, were convinced that too many kids grow up without hearing words of blessing by their parents, but especially by their fathers. And so they, um, just wanted us to hear blessing, which is different than affirmation. It's different than compliments. It's different than praise. Hmm. Blessing is about, it's truth about who you are, and it's something connected to the image of God in you. And so teaching our kids how to bless each other, which is different than saying you're really good at X, Y, and Z. It's This is true about you. (laughs) You are (laughs) fill in the blank, you know? So wow, that's really anyway. So that was a weekly practice, and then yeah, my, my we would, you know, be together on the yeah. Sabbath. So yeah.
0: All right. So big big turn here. Yeah. How do you know when you aren't doing well?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I experience sort of two kind of extremes that tell me that something's off. Um, one is what I would say is a an unholy drive in me that can be very productive. It, it actually is a great motivator, but it, it's sort of like the anxiety that leads to doing. So I can yeah. feel it when I feel a churning need to produce or need to be productive or need to do something. And um, it's not a response to an invitation from God. It's uh, something within me that is causing me to be yeah. productive. So yeah. that that can cause me to overwork or... Um, yeah. So there's sort of a churning thing there that helps me know oh, something's off. And on the other extreme, um, I think there have been seasons where I can experience almost like a lack of a lack of a holy drive and a lack of any drive where I, I you know, sometimes on a, a day where I'm by myself, I might just feel like, what am I, what am I doing? Or where, <laughs> what is my purpose? Almost sort of trending a little bit towards some depression. And so, when i feel healthy is when i have a sense of purpose for today purpose for this season um, but that's coming from the lord and not from within as yeah. a as a driver so yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, that those both those things you named still require a lot of awareness on your part mm-hmm. like how mm-hmm. how do you have that do you have some just natural Mm. awareness to check in with yourself? Or is that something that you've had to learn?
1: Well, I think in my different ministry roles. um, So when I think there have been seasons where that drive has uh, been at the center of my work and I have seen the, the impact that's had on my family, Um, my irritability with the kids goes up, you know, I think there's, There's external markers that I have um, that tell me "Mm, (laughs) what's the priority here. Um, I think to be honest, when I was serving as a woman pastor, I think that was a season of high anxiety for me uh, professionally, because there were a lot of insecurities that came up in that time where when I was in the parachurch, I didn't think about my gender all that often. Mm -hmm. And when I was in church planting, I was always the only woman in the room. And I, that caused a lot of insecurity that then caused a lot of sort of inner drive. Um, and I was constantly feeling, yeah, like I'm comparing myself to colleagues in this season where I'm working for myself. I don't experience that. And I have noticed things like, Ooh, I don't need to go to every conference that I'm invited to, or Hmm. I don't need to, um, you know, there are days where I don't need to work eight hours. I could right. take the afternoon off and chill yeah. with my kids. And that doesn't make me anxious um, because I think there's something something secure in being in the place where God has invited me to be. And I'm not looking around to see who I'm <laughs> measuring up to, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So.
0: so who do you hope to be in 10 years?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in ten years, I will be an empty nester, yeah. um, and so I'm already
0: thinking about that on your behalf. I thought hey, <laughs> this will be a fun question to get to.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think you know, I uh, marriage wise, I just the other day I said to my husband, I I really like you. I think we'll be fine when we're empty nesters, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I think there is a way that, um, you know, I think a lot of couples go through some jarring experiences of when they're that purpose of raising children, you know, is sort of yeah. lessened, right? How, yeah. who are you as a couple again? And so I think part of my hope is that Greg and I would, would weather that transition smoothly and if not look forward to that transition. You know Um I really, think we we were partners in ministry and university for a long time we're now doing separate work but we have always been partners um in in things beyond our family you know yeah. in ministry things so i think there's a way that in our empty nesting years i hope that there will be opportunities to to even regain some of that uh vocational partnership that's beyond our family so that's one hope um And then, yeah, um, it will be interesting since I am such a corporately minded person spiritually, what will spiritual rhythms and practices look like when I'm not, when my, my sort of like energy for that isn't centered around the family. So those, yeah. So who do I hope to be? I hope that I'll be able to bring that energy to my own formation, um, which I think may be challenging for me. So yeah,
0: yeah. Well, do you want to you want to talk a little bit about your book? I think you've sure. been talking about your book the whole <laughs> time, or at least how your life led yeah. to your book. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So this came out of when I was on staff at our church. Um, there, we didn't have a kids person, uh, you know, children's ministry director, or pastor. So I was um, trying to hire somebody, and I couldn't, and so I. Um, leaned into the children's ministry for a year to develop a lay team and mm-hmm. knew nothing about children's ministry and uh, started reading. And I read Sticky Faith, which is an amazing book. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the first time that I came across the statistic that 50% of kids in the U.S. who are actively involved in their churches are walking away from their faith after graduation. And I yeah. it just gutted me, I both as a mom but also as a pastor. Like, how yeah. are we okay with this? So that was – That was the thing that really lit a fire under me. And then I um, did a lot of reading and research, but came across this other study that found that um, 82% of kids whose parents talk about and practice their faith in the home go on to follow Jesus as adults. Wow. So those two statistics side by side caused me in my local context to say, we need to start equipping parents. Yeah. If we want to reach the next generation, we want to see kids following Jesus for the rest of their lives. We can do great programming, but really the key is equipping parents. So I started a training for our church that then went on to expand to other local churches. And then when the pandemic hit, I did it all over the place on Zoom, and then that turned into a book. So my book is uh, designed to equip parents uh, to figure out what it means to talk about and practice their faith at home, yes. simple practices, um, three to five minutes a day, even um, repurposing routines they already have, like driving their kids to school. Um, and um, it's also for pastors and church leaders who want to, to, you know, create culture change in their churches around parents um, and their role in children's discipleship.
0: Yeah. That's great. I mean, I, I really feel like, which I'm sure you do too, that the best shaper of our children is not our children's ministries or youth ministries, you know, it's, yeah. um, and we spend so much effort on creating great programs to engage kids when they're present, but that's right. not much attention on what you just described, at least not in the circles, you know, right. so that's
1: right. Because the average church and the average child, um, has about 40 hours max a year to influence a child. Right. So if you think about that in comparison to families, um, you know, and parents never feel like they have enough time and that's part of the, <laughs> the plague of our,
0: yeah.
1: of our yeah. moment. But I do think there are these sort of um, it's, it's Deuteronomy six is my, my inspiration from scripture, but this idea of repurposing everyday moments like mm. car rides and dinner times and bath times and, you know the the routines that exist with our kids um, that we could take just a, a a little ounce of intentionality to make those um, spiritually meaningful um, in terms of of taking the lead um, to to help our kids know what it means to follow Jesus.
0: Yeah so, so if somebody wants to learn more about you and what you're up to and the ministry that you have or your book, how can they find all that?
1: yeah um i have a website sarah cowan yeah. and um i'm moderately active on instagram that's yeah. the only social media i would say <laughs> um but yeah my website's probably a good start
0: okay well sarah thanks so much for making time um and and I'll just disclose to everybody, especially repeating some of these answers twice because <laughs> somebody might have forgotten to press record for part of this All interview. Oh, good.
1: Good. It's Great I'm to meet graceful you. Very grateful
0: for that. So yeah, it's it's great to meet you, and I'm I'm really glad to hear about and see the work that you're doing.
1: Awesome! Thanks so much for having me.